Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray finally getting it right after a disastrous episode 32 last week. Where is that recording? Nobody knows. A big thanks to all those not named Adrian Logue who kindly said nice things about my little technical mishap. Hopefully all goes smoothly this week. Enough about what has been. Time instead to look ahead to what's to come. And this week will be a good one because golf writer extraordinaire John Huggin is going to join us from his base in Scotland. Those who know Huggy and his work will be excited. Those who don't, strap yourselves in, folks, because let's just say Huggy doesn't pull any punches. Uh, we'll be chatting about that interview with Rory that he did recently, the general state of the game, the match, Mel Reed, Council's trying to steal golf courses. Who knows where we'll end up? All that coming in just a moment. But first, a couple of reminders. If you haven't already, check out the Talking Golf Network, a collection of golf podcasts from all corners of the globe, touching on facets of the game that you won't generally find in the mainstream. Connor Lewis's history shows prove particularly popular, but there's some hidden gems as well. On the tee with Dr. P, which looks at the game from an academic perspective, and Kentucky's premier golf audio product, the Blind Shots podcast with Dave Hill. Some good fun to be had there. Once you've found something you're liking at Talking Golf, point your browser at thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talking Golf and get yourself ready for the approaching golf season with some of the best names in golf apparel, shoes and accessories. I spoke to Aaron from the Golf Society a while back. He's swamped with new stuff from Rangers, from the likes of Hugo Boss, Ralph Lauren, Travis Matthews, shoes from G4, Adidas, Nike. Regular listeners know the drill. Special discount for your first purchase if you're a Talking Golf listener. Log in via thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talking Golf. Enough of all that. Let's get on with today's show. Before we bring in Huggy, it's my co-host Adrian Logue, who's back in studio for the first time since, actually I can't remember when. Adrian, good to have you here. Lucky I've got this new desk that is 2.1 metres long, so that allows us to maintain social distance. Looking forward to chatting to you and Huggy today. Indeed, it's great to be back in, in the uh, studio, Rod. It's a different vibe, isn't it? It's a different dynamic Definitely. when you get to sit and talk Definitely. in I can person. I eyeball you and make faces at you. <laughs> As you have been yeah. right through all that. I was looking at my screen, but I could <laughs> see you out the corner of my eye. And what a what a dashing beanie it is that you've got on today as we head into winter. Uh, of course, the man who's destined to be the star of the show today, all the way from his base in Scotland, as I said, where we probably find him fending off emails from the world's top golfers offering their service as a guest on his podcast with Lawrence Donegan over there at McKellar Journal. Huggy. Taken a couple of def- decades, but you're finally an oversight success. I refer, of course, to your recent interview with Rory McIlroy. Looking forward to ch- chatting about that and lots more today, my friend. A great get, it must be said. Yes, it, it was. Uh, I suppose it's a, it's a bit of a compliment. I mean, I was su- as su- surprised as anybody, really, when uh, I got the email from Rory. Uh, I knew he was a listener, but I wasn't. Uh, I didn't know how much he was you know, a big fan of uh, what we've been doing. Although. Have to say we've had a right good run of guests. We've had <laughs> mm. Harrington and Westwood and Dennis Pugh and Pete Cowan and uh, Curtis Strange, all kinds of people coming on. So uh, I think it's he was attracted more by the guests than by me. I have you've, to say you've made a rod for your own back with the guest list that you've had recently. I can tell you that it's going to be up to to keep up uh, that pace. For those who don't realise, tell us what happened. Of course, we'll talk about the interview and some of the things that were said. There was some really important and interesting golf stuff in the chat itself. But the way it came about was interesting, I thought. Well, yeah. I mean, as I said, Rory has just been a, a listener of uh, the McKellar podcast. And uh, he'd actually spoken to me in Dubai in November last year. He, he came. He was actually in the middle of a round I was watching. And there was a bit of a delay on one tee. And he, he spotted me standing there. And he came across and told me how much he was enjoying uh, listening to us. Um, we just had Dennis Pugh, the swing coach, on at that point, And... I think, yeah, well, Roy knows Dennis, obviously, and I think he listened in on that one and really enjoyed it, and he's obviously stuck with us since. As you said, you've had a pretty good rotation of guests. What's it like, Huggy? You've been around the game a long time, and you've worked with 
many of the game's top stars. That must be a bit nice, though, isn't it, to get an email from Rory himself saying, hey, if you ever want me to come on the show, just let me know. And and then how do you handle it? Do you have to be professional and distant and say, well, we'll have to look at the schedule, Rory, or do you <laughs> fawningly email back, yeah, yeah, what time can we get you on? No, well, I did say that we'd try and squeeze him in, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure he took that too seriously. But no, we, we had him on uh, as soon as we could get him on, to be honest, uh, as you would do with, with him. He's a hard man to get. Uh, Although the, you talk about the, the great run of guests we've had, I think we've, we've benefited from the, the mm. situation across the planet at the moment and that uh, these guys are sitting around looking for things to do. Um, I think it might be harder if and when uh, golf kicks off again. Yeah, we've got a couple of weeks left, haven't we? And then they're all going to retreat back into their shells and uh, and we, you'll be going through the middlemen <laughs> once again. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's Never the start easy. of a great Never. run of guests for us. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Rory, if you're following Huggy's <laughs> career and you're listening to us today, you're welcome on the Good Good Podcast anytime. All the thing about golf, which is what I'd really love to chat to him, had you on the thing about golf, Huggy. That was, uh, that was a bit of sport. You weren't so keen on being on the other side of the... The, the questions were you, but it was good fun. I thought. Uh, yes, I, I'm. You know, I'm like most journalists. I think I'm not really comfortable being the story or being the subject. So I'd, I'd rather be the one asking the questions. Yeah, I will tell you that at least one person went from not particularly liking you to liking you after they heard that. So the yeah, whole what, thing. What was their name? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. But they did offer to buy you a beer if they ever came across you. So make yourself available, and everything will be all, all right. I enjoyed that one. That was two podcasts in one. That one. The the huggy. Uh, Thing what about it, golf. Why was it too? You stopped it, and then you realised oh, you had no. a whole other series of questions <laughs> uh, you wanted yeah. to ask. Huggy for forty-eight minutes, and we never met, once mentioned Seve. <laughs> uh, what an imbecile! We we got up from the desk, yeah. and Huggy looked at me and he said, "You didn't even ask about Seve." It's like, right? Let's sit back down and turn that back on. Yes, it's another technical mishap that will very uh, good. That we are. Let's talk about uh, that interview with Rory. Of course, once you've got over the the excitement of him sort of emailing you across. The problem for a lot of the very top players, like Rory and Tiger and Adam Scott and a lot of those, they rarely find themselves, for a combination of reasons, in a setting where they can just have proper golf chat. And it felt to me like what you and Lawrence had with Rory was just proper golf chat. We know there was some stuff about Trump, which, of course, took precedence in a lot of places and loads of papers blew that up into something bigger than it probably actually was, but there was a proper golf chat element, Huggy, and I think that might have been refreshing for Rory. Did you get to talk to him before or after just about the ability to just sometimes sit down and just talk about golf? Because they're all, well, most of them are golf nerds at heart, aren't they? Well, it's funny you should say that. I mean, that is verbatim um, what Rory actually said to me in an email. I, I said, Obviously, I sent him an email afterwards to thank him for coming on, and I got a very short email back. All it said was... Uh, my pleasure, proper golf chat, look after that ankle. That was all he said. <laughs> so, you know, proper golf chat, that, that's exactly what he was looking for. Um, you're right. I think, you know, the, when you think about what he does, the times he is speaking to the media, it's, you know, nine times out of ten, it's before a round or pre-tournament. And some of the questions are, you know, not the, there's not great depth to them. They're, and it's familiar questions that he's, he's answering every week. And it must be difficult to... He does a pretty good job, actually, of coming up with something different and giving the newspaper guys a line for the next day's paper. But um, generally speaking, you've got to think, you must think, oh, my goodness, not that question again. So that's, you know, maybe that's, you know, in fact, I know that's that's kind of why he came on. He was looking for some proper golf chats, exactly what he said. So much dross, isn't it? And particularly the TV stuff they do. I know he's involved with this golf pass. They've got some sort of a contract. But he's got his own podcast as well. Yeah, his own podcast with Carson... Um, well, almost a Carson Daly, Carson almost Daly. unlistenable from a golf point of view, I take it. But. And so, uh, 
that must just get annoying sometimes. So I suppose in some ways it touches on something that we talk about here quite often. This whole podcasting thing's opened up a new world for not just listeners, but I suppose in some ways for the, – and it's part of that social media thing, isn't it, Huggy? They get the chance to talk themselves. I know Rory's not on Twitter as much as he used to be. He was a regular contributor for a while there until he had that spat with Steve Elkington, which mm. he won, by the way, quite comfortably. <laughs> but it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that there's now an outlet. It's unlikely Rory's going to get to go and sit on the set at the Golf Channel and have an hour-long discussion about the range of topics you guys talked about. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he was terrific. And I tell you, just from you guys' point of view, the, the number of nice things he said about Australia mm. and Australians was really quite remarkable, I thought. I mean, he, he loved Kingston Heath. He'd watched a lot of the President's Cup on television just because he was at Royal Melbourne. You know, he, I think he mentioned Brett Rumford. He as did. He could watch him which I, hit bunker shots. I would, I would definitely subscribe to that. I've done the same thing. And, and it's, you know, Brett Rumford. I don't think there's anybody better that, out of bunkers than Brett Rumford. And, uh, you know, he, and he talked about playing in Australia. The first time I ever set eyes on Rory was in Australia. It was at, in Sydney mm-hmm. when he was a young amateur. He was walking along with his father. Um at Royal Sydney, I think it was. Yeah, back 2006. In the day. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and that was the first time I ever saw him. And he got he, he loved us. He loves Australia. And I think uh, he was, you know, the big thing was, which he volunteered, was that in ordinary circumstances, he would have been down to play at Kingston Heath later this year, which, if true, would have been fantastic. Would have been. It may go ahead early next year. I suppose it gives us a clue, though, Huggy. And you and I had a bit of a back and forth about this on uh, Twitter about are you 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 seem to be of the, the view that he meant that as he would come down here and play without an appearance fee. I sort of didn't take that. I sort of assumed that once you get into Rory's rarefied air, the appearance fee is a given. You don't think so? Well, he's he's a little bit different. I mean, he's made all the money that he's ever going to need. In fact, ever, all the money that his great-grandkids are ever going to need, let's face it. And I'm not sure he, he's completely driven by that, like, like some of them. I mean, I've written this many times that, my wish is that the at the start of each year, the top ten players in the world would sit down and, and together and plan out. Right, we're all going to go somewhere different. We're all going to go somewhere that needs somebody like us to go and do it for nothing. Just show up and bring in the crowds in a place where golf needs to grow. I mean, a couple of years ago, um, Rory went to the South African Open as a favour to any else. And the place was moving was with people. Brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, it yeah. was extraordinary. Mm. So he's got that power. He's one of the, you know, probably only two that can influence things as much as that. Tiger Woods, obviously, being the other one. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I think um, you know, if you gave him a first-class airfare and a hotel room for the week, I think there's a pretty good chance. I'm, you know, I'm speaking for Rory yeah, when I'm no real. I've no evidence for this. I'm. Just, this is just my impression. I hasten to add, but I, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if he did something like that. It's interesting that Huggy would get that impression, isn't it, Adrian? Because you wouldn't get that impression from any of the other world's top ten, I wouldn't think, or any of the handful of needle movers in the game. Well, it partly comes down to Rory's personality, I think, mm-hmm. and there's very few players who could actually sell that to their agent mm-hmm. uh, because it's not necessarily that like, sometimes I guess the player would be play for free in their national open, but their agent won't stand for it or, or it's happening without them even knowing it really. They, they know that there's a negotiation taking place, but they're not really actively involved in it. But Rory, you get the sense he's the sort of personality who could just put his foot down and, and well, make, that, make it happen. That was your line, wasn't Huggy? Rory does what Rory wants. Yeah. yeah I mean, his agent is, he works for Rory. It's not like he's a you know part of a group. 
Um, so I think, you know, whatever Rory says will happen. I mean, he's, he's, you're right, he is that kind of guy. He knows his own mind and, uh, you know, there's good and bad sides of that and it's far more good in his case. Mm. I think if, if Rory announced to, to, his, to his agent, said, look, I'm, I'm going to go and play in the Australian Open for expenses or whatever, I think that would happen. If Jason Day did something like that, he could mend <laughs> so much. You can hear like, Huggy giggling just, in the background there because we all know Jason Day's agent. It's the <laughs> only thing like, they should collaborate and just work out how they're going to get this done. But if, if he came to Australia for, say, three years in a row where even let's say they negotiated uh, an appearance fee and then put it back into the tournament, some, some gesture like that, mm. it would earn him 20 years of not coming. <laughs> he just he could do that for three years, and and people would talk about it. For- the one year he was here was fantastic, and yep. you couldn't have asked him to do any more than he did. No. He earned whatever money it was that they paid him. There's been speculation about that. Uh, so good on him in, in that regard. So you're kind of right in that way. It's not a lot to ask of players, is it, in many ways, Huggy? I love your idea of the world's top oh. ten getting together and picking a destination each. And, you know, Adam Scott saying to McElroy, well, I'll do South Africa this year and you can do Brazil or whatever it might be. Yeah, How many yeah. of the top ten? I reckon Adam Scott would be up for it, and I reckon Rory would be up for it. Who else? Yeah, I mean, it, break, it breaks my heart that they, that you're right. I mean, that my cynicism extends to that as well. I mean, that most of them would look at you as if you were mad. But I mean, it, it, I mean, wh- once a year, are you telling me that that that's too much to ask? And for, for guys that are, you know, as I said, they're rich beyond imagination. Financially, they're 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 not playing for the money, or they shouldn't be at that level. It's. I mean, once a year. Come on, let's do it. You know, think of the good that could come of it. Yeah, absolutely. For the game, it's the yeah. game more broadly. That's the that's the whole point. You're right. That's South African event. And admittedly, they work hard for their money when they're the marquee player. No one suggests a week no, like no. this. Absolutely. But yeah, it isn't that much of a sacrifice, especially for your national open. Yeah. Have you ever had a real job, Adrian? I have, and it's not much fun. I've yeah. got to tell you, the, the hard work they do. It's, it, uh, no one's suggesting it's easy, but it's true. not like a lot of people around the world on a daily true. basis. When, when you've been in the bubble that they're in, yeah. I think it's a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. To actually, you have to yeah, <laughs> do indeed. all those extra responsibilities. It takes it out of them, the poor things. But you know, they've still got prize money to play for, like a professional golfer. That's true. Yes, having to put up with the likes of us, though, Huggy, this touches on, I suppose, what we were talking about before. The when you're the marquee player and you come to somewhere like the Australian Open, there is a real lot of dross to put up with it. I mean, that really is hard work. The the, the nonsense well, you've got to put up with with the local TV network who's hosting the bro- all the other associated rubbish is just that is hard work, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, that's the Australian Open is no different from anywhere else. I mean, I, I see that every week with those guys. Some of the, as you put it, the nonsense that they have to put themselves through the, the, the inane questions that get fired at them. I mean. That would get old pretty quickly for me. I mean, I'd get tired of that pretty soon. Inside a month, something like that would be enough for me. And we know how uh, patient you yeah. are, Huggy. So that's yeah. really telling well, you. <laughs> yeah, but it's a it's a reflection too on the on the way that our industry's gone. I mean, the, an awful lot of the the what I would the guys I've respected on the way up and, and seen and watched and admired and loved the writing, and a lot of them are gone because uh, they were the best. So therefore, the most expensive. And the way that you know a lot of the industry's gone is 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 just comes down to money. Quality is not really an issue. It's, uh, we're being run by bean counters to to a large extent now, and and a lot of the the guys, as I say, the guys that I looked up to and respected are no longer around. And uh, a lot of the what's left is uh, is pretty average, to be honest. We lost another one last week, didn't we, Huggy? Golf World, I think. In 
Well, yeah, Gulfport UK, okay. it's, it's, I don't think the decision has been made yet. Um, it's a bit of a financial hit for me. I do quite a lot for them. But yes, it's um, they're owned by Bauer Media, it's a German company. They also do mm-hmm. Today's Golfer magazine in the UK. And to be honest, when, you, when we see the situation in the world today, it's not a great surprise that they're looking to consolidate, if you like, and probably one has to go. And, and Golf World is the smaller of the two circulation-wise. For our industry, Huggy, what's the solution? Have you thought of something? Because <laughs> you can see the obvious problem. Ad sales drop. The cost of advertising is, comes down and down and down the more competitive the market gets. It's the advertising that pays for the, the journos, the part of the, the magazines that we think is important. The publishers don't think we're important. but Subscriptions is a very small part of it. Subscriptions What's the solution? Can you see a solution? We've got this great well, free tool, the internet, but it's a very deep and competitive cesspool, isn't it? Yeah, you would probably know more about this than I would, Rod, in that uh, you've, somebody's got to figure out ways to make money off the internet. It's really that simple because that's the way everything's going to go. I mean, the, the print magazines and newspapers, I mean, you've got to figure they're going to have a limited shelf life. I mean, the talk over here is that the, some of the newspapers are not going to survive this. Um, they're, they're going to be gone or at least they'll just be digital uh, in the future. Um, what do you think? I mean, I, let me fire it back to you. I mean, you you deal with the internet, you know, far more than I do. Um, wh- what do you see? What do you hear? There's potential. To me, and I, broadly, I've said this before, I think, on this show even, I think the media ultimately will look more like the cafe industry, as an example. You'll have a couple of big players, Murdoch and Fox, CNN, those people, and they'll be the Gloria Jeans and the Starbucks, and they'll have live sport. It's about the only thing in this world that cannot be time-shifted successfully. The, the real thing that's killed media, I think, has been this time-shifting notion. You don't have to turn up at the TV 7.30 Wednesday to watch the Sullivans anymore. And people used to do that in droves. Culturally, no, no, we did that for two generations. People did watch the Sullivans, yeah. it? Sullivans, neighbours, whatever it might be, you had it on at the same time. And that's completely changed. So that that's that. And then the rest of it, and this might be a long way in the future, but will look something like, let's say, you, me, and Adrian – We'll all work together on this little corner of the internet where we've got the Good Good Golf podcast, the Talking Golf Network, a mix of sponsorship, perhaps live events, subscriptions, and the goodwill of people who like the work you do. And when they find your corner of the internet, are prepared to put in 10 bucks, 15, 20 bucks a month, whatever it'll be. Mm-hmm. And we'll make a living that's that's you can that you can you can have a you can just be a small business person. I think that's how it's going to pan out. That's my that's kind of how it is now. Except for the big stuff like news and politics. But I think for golf, that's kind of the way you you see. No Laying Up have done it. The Fried Egg have done it. They've made themselves successful commercial online enterprises. Um, What happens, of course, when businesses like that get enough success is they start to glom together and you get- And start looking like the business we've already got. Exactly. (laughs) Or have had. Exactly. So, I mean, that's the cycle, if anything, and that's an offline phenomenon as much as it's an online phenomenon is that things- build up and then glom together in, and then they break up again yeah. and you have lots of little things to replace them and then they glom together and it's just this endless cycle. I do think yeah. there'll be a separate corner. I feel like maybe it's just me, huh? yeah, maybe I'm overstating what I think the importance of what we do is, not we as individuals, but our industry does. The world's not a better place in the last 10 years for the disappearance of newspapers and proper journalism. Yeah. It hasn't improved. I mean, I, I am heartened a little bit by the, there's still a niche market for quality. Yeah. I mean, the, the McKellar journal thing that we, you know, for the podcast is connected with, 
it's uh, they've done three issues so far. It's like quarterly, and it's it's kind of high end. It cost a fair bit, fourteen bucks or whatever it was, but they've sold out every one. Yeah. So there is a little market there if you can tap into it, but it's not huge, and um, it's a it's it's the golf geeks basically, isn't it? That's who we're talking about. The the, the guys that are going to buy and be into everything. You don't have to worry too much about them. They're they're going to be there, whatever happens. It's the it's, New Yorker it's of beyond golf, that really. is, is difficult. Yeah, indeed. Of course, the bonus of you subscribe to McKellar and you're in Australia, Huggy, is that it's most likely it'll pass through Mike Clayton's hands on its way to your letterbox. <laughs> exactly. Because he's the distribution point. We've seen photos of the man stuffing envelopes. Right. He, he breathes yeah, into I've, every box before he packages <laughs> it up. <laughs> I've seen those boxes. You're right. Yeah. That's <laughs> the fir- on first opening, you're getting a little bit of Mike Clayton... <laughs> Released into the atmosphere. What other eight-time professional tournament winner has a sideline in stuffing magazines that he's written articles in himself into envelopes and sending them to people? It's beneath him almost, isn't it? But then, yeah. My concern, exactly that, my concern would be that they. I hope they arrive with address stickers because if Clates is responsible for putting the addresses, oh. none of them are going to arrive at their desk. Now, you've seen his handwriting, haven't you, Huggy? It is disgraceful. That, that's true. That's true, but the, the world would be a better place if there were more people like Mike Clayton. Well, it it really would be, and Very I think generous. he's a he's a part of that corner of the internet that I'm talking about. That really, I suppose, McKellar Journal is a great example. Huggy, it wasn't the sort of thing, but that's a great example of the sort of thing I'm talking about. You've got a little corner there. Everybody works hard, produces something good, and makes just enough out of it to produce another one and pay their mortgage, and away they go. Um, just quickly on a sideline, how are you going? Because of course, Golf Australia magazine here in Australia, which you write for haven't printed for a couple of issues, Golf World you're talking about. What's it like being in that freelance? I mean, it a little bit, but not like you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be insulated a little bit. My, I had three main employers. Um, it's Golf Digest, stroke golfworld.com in America, uh, Golf World magazine here in the UK, and, and as you say, Golf Australia magazine. <clears throat> they were my three main sources of income. Um, as you say, Golf Australia went on a bit of a hiatus, but but is coming back, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, Golf World UK, who knows? I mean, that, that could disappear um, as, as maybe as quickly as tomorrow morning. I'm not sure when they're making a decision one way or another. But uh, but as I say, I'm, I've got my, uh, my, without giving too much away, I'm at my deal with the Americans uh, runs through the end of next year. Okay. And that, uh, they're, they're the biggest part of my my income, um, so they're still going to be around. Um, I could survive with just them, but um, my lifestyle would probably have to change a little bit. Yeah. Speaking of which, how is the ankle? We probably didn't mention it. You busted your ankle, what, yeah. five or six weeks ago now? What were you doing? Tell oh, the people. Um, well, I, it's a couple of months ago now. I'm actually, I am walking again, albeit uh, not very far and not that well. It stiffens up quite quickly. But, um, yeah, I was playing football with my 10-year-old nephew across the road and uh, I can't even blame the little bugger. He, he, he's a terrible bad, t- for, he loves his bad tackles but uh, he wasn't anywhere near me. I basically just fell over. <laughs> you know, I'm too old. My, my football career is over, put it that way. Well, Rory did the same thing, so that's... He did, yeah. We, that's why he was sympathetic to my plight. Yes, uh, indeed. Back to Rory and that sort of interview. You told us once on here that, you, clearly you know Rory, but you're better friends with his father. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm friendly. I mean, he and I don't see each other often enough to be classed as friends, but we're certainly friendly. Um, he and I are basically the same age. Um, we've got the same kind of background. He was a, he still is a kind of decent low handicap golfer, and uh, we just got a lot to talk about because we've got a lot in common. And uh, I've even, I don't know if I've said this to you before, I've even t- turned him into a Forfar Athletic fan. Uh, my wife is a, on the board at Forfar Athletic, which. 
they're a small part-time football team third division in Scotland uh, their only full-time employee is the groundsman so that'll tell you kind of the level we're talking about but he um, but yeah Jerry McElroy is now officially a, a four for athletic fan uh, to the point where as Rory said to me off air at the podcast last week he said uh, I gave his dad a four for athletic baseball cap and he, he wears it all the time <laughs> to the point where I think Rory's getting a bit fed up with it Um was it was it St Louis the PJ in St Louis? Um, I'd been I was waiting for Rory to mark in his card, and I was talking to his dad outside the in the kind of media area, and uh, Rory came up behind us, and he and he goes, oh yeah, he says I know what you guys will be talking about four for athletic. And he was right. We were talking about former athletics, so <laughs> I, I'm not sure whether I've been a good influence on Jerry or not. But uh, but yeah, he's a good man. Um, I think it's been well documented. I think Rory talked about it a bit uh, on the podcast about how what a great job his parents did and the things that they did to to give him the chance to play. When uh, I didn't have a lot of money growing up, and his mother was working night shifts in a factory, and his dad had three jobs, I think, at one point, and. You know, they're they're kind of the model for um, you know parents of future superstars. They should follow. Everybody should look at what they did and follow their lead. Well, well grounded, and then and Jerry's living a great life oh, now, isn't he? Like Seminole, he and, is. yeah, playing all of that. <laughs> plays golf everywhere and every yeah. day, every other day. Yeah, there's a lot of good golf club hats he could be wearing instead of that four three. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Rory gets a lot of pleasure out of the the lifestyle that his father and his, his and his mother obviously she don't play golf. I don't think, but. Uh, yeah, if I was Rory, I'd be looking at that with a you know a great deal of pride. I think it's a lovely payback, isn't it, for uh, a good chunk of your lifetime devoted to it. The reason I asked you about Jerry was because what I thought shone through in that interview, and I'll get your thoughts and then Adrian's thoughts on this. Rory, if you had to summarise it briefly, Rory strikes me as a kid who was brung up right. Does that make sense? Just listening to him talk on that podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Lawrence Donegan asked him about hey, if he's got any regrets. I mean, he obviously he left school quite early. Um, because when it became clear that golf was going to be his thing, um, but you know, as Lawrence also pointed out, Rory's obviously he's pretty bright. I mean, he's a voracious reader now. I mean, some of the things he's been reading uh, are you know, th- ooh, he's pretty impressive. You know, highbrow stuff and delving into the psychology of the game and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he didn't seem to have any regrets over the the path he'd taken, but um, he could have chosen something different I mean I think and, and Lawrence asked him about this as well was that um, Jenny and Rory were driving home from the Mullingar Scratch Cup which Je- uh, Rory had just won which is one of the biggest 72 hole amateur events in Ireland or it certainly was back in the day um, and R- Rory had won and they were driving home and Rory was in tears because he wasn't enjoying it as much as he thought this this was what he always thought he wanted but once it, it was a kind of is this it kind of moment for him and uh, you know he was in tears thinking oh I'm, I'm not enjoying this you know and his dad said look you know just don't worry about it but you know if you want to do someone else you can do someone else but you know we'll drive home take a few days off and see how you feel and of course by Thursday or so, this is Sunday evening and I think by Thursday Rory was dying to get back on the golf <laughs> yeah. course again but you know it just shows you that the you know how much the mind how much of a role the mind can play at sport at that even at that level um, he was questioning whether this was really what he wanted, and obviously, you know, he's he's gone the way he's gone. But uh, an interesting admission. I mean, not everybody would have come clean on that, I don't think. But that's what Rory's like. If you ask him a question, he, he that's the one of the things I admire the most about him. I think is that he will try and give you an honest answer. He doesn't give you the pat straight back down the pitch, you know, 
easy single to mid off type answer. He, he he goes for the for the boundary more often than not, as he as he showed when uh, you know he had he sounded off about Donald Trump. I mean that that wasn't something that you would hear from many golfers. And it wasn't said without thought either. He knew what the backlash was going to be. He knew as soon as you mentioned Trump's name, it's going to be heard he, somewhere, and it's going to be. I was kind of ambivalent about that because me too. You know, I, I was listening to it, and I and I knew that you know, that's that was going to be the headlines, and the and the upside for us was that McKellar Golf Podcast was mentioned in places and by people that we would you know you could never imagine normally. But the downside was that the hour and twenty six minutes or whatever it was of great golfy stuff that Rory talked about kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. And so I was, I mean, there was more good than bad for us, but uh, I, as I say, I was slightly ambivalent when I, and I knew when he was saying it, and I think he did too, as you say, because he didn't just blurt it out. I mean, he, he kind of hummed and hawed a little bit and then decided, yes, I'm going to say this. <laughs> I'm going to say what I want to so, say. You know, but that's what he's like. I mean, as I say, I give him huge credit because he, he tries to answer questions. He, he try he thinks about it and gives you an answer. He doesn't just have the, the, the answer ready before you've even asked it, you know, which is a great thing. Indeed. I, mean, uh, I know this was mentioned on the, the great Lost episode, which will be talked about <laughs> yep. forever, Adrian. Uh, <laughs> some guys recorded a podcast in my studio here a few weeks ago, Huggy, and one of the, the hosts said something to the guest that I'd never heard before, but I think it really speaks to that Rory issue and maybe spit to David Juval in 2001 after the Open. It's better to travel well than have landed. There's something mm. about that achieving a goal, isn't it? And Duval talked about the same thing on the plane back from, from Litham with the claret jug sitting there and thinking to himself, is this it? Mm. The expectation of what it was going to be. So, you're right. The, the my, It's funny, isn't it, Huggy? That, uh, I really thought that was it. It's better to have travelled well than have landed. It really makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm sure there's a, you know, a lot of top sportsmen have, have felt that way, especially the ones that you know we look back now and probably had fairly short-lived careers at whatever sport we're talking about. They're probably the ones that, that questioned that the most, you know, the, the, especially the ones with you know incredible talent. I mean, I'm thinking of probably George Best, the football player back in the day. I mean, he was the first kind of media superstar and, and nobody knew how to handle him and he didn't know how to handle the fame and it, it all got a bit too much for him. He spent all of his money on women and booze and then squandered the <laughs> yeah, rest. He just wasted <laughs> that, that, yeah, yeah. You've heard the famous Miss World story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, what have you heard back since the Rory interview from Who that maybe has been – I'm sure you must have got a lot of feedback. I know I got straight on the Twitter and sent you a message and said that was fantastic stuff. I'm sure plenty of others did too. What other sort of feedback have you had and has any of it been surprising? Well, most of it from uh, from colleagues has been, you know, blatant jealousy. I have to say, I mean, <laughs> mine too. I just, I just hit <laughs> no, it quite no. well. <clears throat> no, I mean, Roddy, Roddy's, he's, he's, I say, he's hard to get to, but when he, if you get him, he's terrific. I mean, uh, and as as was shown by the ninety minutes he sat and talked to us. I mean, there wasn't he didn't really put a time limit on it, but an hour and a half. So as you know, is a long time for a podcast. His hourly but, rate. Huggy, you can't afford yeah. that. Trust me. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been nice. I mean, it's been as you, as I've said already. I mean, it was great uh, publicity for for McKellar. Hopefully, more people will take notice of the name and and buy the journal. And when the next one comes out, that's in it's underway at the moment. I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Lawrence heard from more people than I did. Um, it's, he's really the the driving force behind McKellar along with Tom Dunn. So I'm I'm basically just a, an unpaid employee. 
I think it's a typical Rory thing to do, isn't it? To to ring up and want to get involved in something like this. I, I think I recall the No Laying Up podcast when he made an appearance on that, the first time he made an appearance on that. They might have asked him something like, what would you do if you weren't a professional golfer? And he, his reply, I thought, was quite telling. He said, oh, I'd probably try and do something like this. Like, he was, like, genuinely interested and curious. I think he's got this very active mind. Mm. And he even said the word curious. He said, I'm curious about things. And I think that's a fantastic trait for anybody to have. But in a sense, it's it's also the thing that could hold him back in golf. It's dangerous for a top player, isn't it? It really is because you've got to be – you've got to have this single-minded obsession um, to sustain – particularly, I think, world number one. Uh, who, who knows? I don't know what it takes to be world number one, but I do suspect you can't be too distracted. <laughs> and yeah, you can't, I mean, you, the, the last thing you'd ever want to be is rounded. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and it's almost impossible to be that way, as you say. If you're the best in the world at, at anything, there's no way that you're ever going to be rounded because, you, you, by definition, you put almost everything, all your time and effort into to one thing. Yeah, you're going to so be distorted into around? this hideous yeah. sort of a personality, um, which yeah. you well, know, look we, we see Tiger's snippets of. Yeah. example of that. I mean, Tiger, you know, we asked about Rory's childhood, and Tiger didn't really have a childhood. It sounds like he was, a, he was a, you know, playing golf from the age of three or four. And Rory, again, on the podcast, he talked about all the things he'd done, all the other sports he played, you know, on the way up until he, obviously, golf was his thing. But um, I, I think that's so important. It's just to... And have a bit of fun on the way up. I mean, uh, it didn't sound like Tiger had much fun. Well, he, he probably, I mean, because he enjoyed the golf, but he didn't have much fun outside the golf. No, that in, way. in hindsight, the whole Tiger thing looks quite dysfunctional, doesn't it? There was a lot of hoopla early in his career about this is the way you should raise a child and all the rest of it. Incredible golfer. No, incre- and the gift he's given all of us, we should be thankful for every single day. But he's not very human, not like Rory. There's a there's no. a there's a missing human element, and even today when we couldn't get it down here in Australia, but during the match there, you'll no doubt see Mickelson hamming it up and doing a brilliant job. Woods is far mm. less comfortable. Not that he's not capable, but far less comfortable, particularly in the public spotlight. That yeah, I mean everybody talks about you know Tiger's dad, um, and I'm sure you know obviously he was a huge influence on his son, but. I tell you, he was the real killer in the background was the mother. <laughs> Absolutely, she she was unbelievable. I've heard her, you know, in the background. When Phil was the, seen as the big, if anybody was ever a rival to Tiger, Phil was the next best thing, certainly in America. And uh, I heard her saying, you know, what fat boy shoot? What fat boy shoot? <laughs> <laughs> so um, she, was, she was an absolute killer. And I think I've heard Tiger say that she was the disciplinarian yeah. in the group. You know, dad, his dad was, was his friend and his pal and his golfing buddy. But his mum was the one that made him sit down and do his homework. Well, I think in the, that recent book, didn't they say, the thing that was probably going through Tiger's head when he came to after hitting the hydrant was... He, What's he, mum going to say? Well, yeah, it wasn't mm. the woman who was worried about having disappointed <laughs> was right. his mum. Yeah. There's, yeah. uh, there's something particularly terrifying about a small woman, isn't there? A small, petite woman with a big attitude is the most terrifying thing in the world, I reckon. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, amazing stuff. Are you getting to watch any of the match, by the way? It's on right now, isn't it? It's pelting it's, rain it's, on them, isn't it? It's on, uh, yes, I've got the... the, the Television is on here right in front of me, and it's uh, muted, obviously. But uh, I haven't paid that much attention because the, the weather looks horrendous. Mm. And to be fair, so does the golf. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's uh, not really some pretty rough stuff. I've got to be fair. I've got no interest in watching bad golfers. I mean, the, the Dunhill Lynx is played. You know, it's in Andrews and Carusti and Kings Barnes here every year. It's a model same as the AT and T, Bing Crosby thing in the states. 
and I've always this this speaks to the to the Scottish character more than anything else. I think the the first three days of the the Dunhill Links you can get in for free, and hardly anybody shows up to watch because all the celebrities are playing. And then on the Sunday they charge I don't know what it is twenty quid say to get in, and thousands of people show up because there's hardly any celebrities left, and all the bad <laughs> offers are gone. I mean that that's that speaks that's. You know, if I'm typical, and I probably am in this respect, I, I don't want to watch bad golfers. I want to watch the great golfers. I don't know. I'd love to be noble enough to say that I was like you, Huggy, but I find something incredibly <laughs> amusing about seeing people, particularly people who've been successful in another field, seeing them suffer. I, if they miss it golf. quick, I'm okay with it. But I, I was over it last last time around when Justin Timberlake took like oh. – well, he's, he's a minutes five mark. to hit a putt or something and then yeah. talk it through and then he missed the putt and then he stood there complaining about that. You can understand forever to walk that... up to the hole and then didn't tap in for it. Just miss him quick. Yeah, that's right. Get on with it. You, you, you'd be in a hurry to shoot 80-something. Who was it? Was it Jamie – oh, I got in trouble for this last time. Is it Jamie Redknapp? Is it <laughs> – Yes. He thinned that one into the bunker, and then he thinned another. He couldn't get it. That was fantastic, uh, fantastic. But you're right. Seventy two holes of it is probably a little bit much. Back that, to the. It's, it's, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say unwatchable, which is probably the last word on that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Back to the Rory thing in the Australian Open, Logue. I wanted to give you a chance to again run through this notion you have about the Australian Open because you only ever bring this up when Huggy's on. So partly because I know- tear me to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 go for it. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I feel like the Australian Open is is on this precipice. It's one of the few tournaments in the world that has held on to some shred of its identity. Yeah. And it's done that by not being co-sanctioned. It's true so far, isn't it, Huggy? <laughs> yep, that's Excellent. true. <laughs> um, I, I feel like the only thing that can stop it from retaining that and actually turning that into an asset that no other tournament in the world has, except for perhaps the Masters or some, you know, a, well, a few of the majors. But and, and not to say the Australian Open would be like ever considered in that realm. It's just it can be considered as a unique jewel in the international calendar if it retains its identity. But in order to do that, it can't be successful in the same sense that every other tournament is successful. So you can't necessarily have a management company come in and and run it and expect to make X profit out of it every year because we're going to check all these checkboxes and do all of the things that a proper tournament does and then make that money out of it because that's the contract that we've got is that we've, you know, we've got to show a profit every single year. So, so it can't be the John Deere Classic and the Australian Open at the same time. I know you disagree with this fundamentally, Huggy, and I think I do too. I'm, I'm torn. Well, I the, think the thing, I, it takes patience. It, it's not the sort of thing where you say, this is how we're going to run it, and then next year Rory McIlroy turns up. Like, maybe Rory does. Because he's unusual. Heath, he might. But it's the sort of thing where you might have to do, put up with a few years where it goes back to being the sort of thing where it's just all Australians doing local qualifying and the field is you know, 95% Australians and a few New Zealanders and some journeyman Americans or something like that. And that's the deal for the, for a few years. The Australian Open is – and that would still make an okay profit for Golf Australia. Golf Australia could run it themselves instead of a management company. And then you, you, you just nurture that for a few years. And then eventually you've got something of value there that nobody else has, ha- has got. The only I'm way with to- you 100% on the management company thing. I mean, that, that was a – I'm sure they would – if you twisted their arms up their backs, they would admit that that was a mistake. I mean, and it certainly um, impacted in a negative way on the the fields that they've 
been able, or the depth of the fields that they've been able to have over the last few years. I mean, I've been going to the Australian Open now for maybe 15 years, and you're right that the, if they were co-sanctioned with, say, let's say they they put their you know hand in the ring with the the European Tour, um, the the character of it would change because the field w- would change, and the, there'd be an awful lot more. European players, uh, the bottom half of the field would be almost exclusively European, something like that, say, or certainly a high percentage of it would be. Uh, but the, to be fair, they've already done that. They, they did that with the, the One Asian Tour. I mean, the, the character of the Australian Open changed when they did that, and that, that was a huge mistake because the, the One Asian Tour didn't have the players to, to make a, a positive difference to the, to the makeup of the field for the Australian Open. I remember playing in the Pro-Am there in New South Wales, was it 2010, maybe, when I think Adam Scott nine. won eventually? Yeah. Oh, nine, I'm going to uh, say. Mm. Nine, right. Sorry. I was playing in the Pro-Am with a, a kid from somewhere in Asia who was a player in the One Asian Tour, and I was a better player than he was. I mean, he, he, was, he wasn't very good at all, which goes without saying. I was, you know, I, but and that's the, where they were. I mean, he was in, they were showing open in such a bad way at that point. The, the, right at the top, there were still a few names knocking about, but the... the, the Lower down, I mean, it was, the standard was appalling. That the European Tour, you know, we're talking about the same kind of principle, getting in bed with the European Tour, but the field would be so much better, top to bottom, if you did that. But that, would it, that would be the difference. For but that. Wouldn't it just be I another just like, bland national open or exactly. the European Tour? And I feel like depth of field is not what gets people no, through the, the game. bottom half of the field is not no, doing. You're much right. Yeah, I see. I agree. For the yeah. for the prestige. what I really like about your idea, Logue, <clears throat> and this is what I was going to ask you about, Huggy. In this new world where the unthinkable is now thinkable since March when we all went into lockdown and everything changed, yeah. is different, in fact, is what Logue's proposing actually perhaps more sensible than it sounded last November when we sat around a table in the press tent and you explained to him patiently why he was wrong on, on every count. Is there a possibility? Because the reality of the Masters is that its first decade or so, it was, it really struggled. It nearly died. Multiple times. Uh, that's a possibility for the Australian Open if we were to move forward under the Logue model. But is there not something appealing where if you could create over a mid to longer term, the Vic Open's a great example. After the first year, an awful lot of people would have said about the Vic Open, it was an interesting experiment. Yeah, it's but got to look like it, it fails for a few years last, before now, people realise it's something right. good. I wonder, Huggy, whether he might be onto something. Well, the Masters is not the, the best example because they still had a you know, a lot of the best players in the True. world were still yes. there because they were Bobby Jones was he was their buddy and mm. they wanted to show up and play for him. <clears throat> but you're right. I mean, uh, you know, you know the, the the masters. I, I like the, it's the contrary. I like it. Yeah. I mean, because it, it, the last thing you want to be is just another, as you say, another just another commoner garden seventy two hole event on whatever tour we're talking about that. So I like it, you know, maybe I'm coming round to, you know, maybe I'm spending too much time. <laughs> Broken ankle, COVID-19, yeah, Huggy's world, yeah. shifting sands. So we'll take too much time to think. Yeah, exactly. In a world awash with money, I can see that there might be an appeal and what it would take is, and this might be the opportunity, Rory McIlroy and Adam Scott, we know we can get. Adam because he's Australian and Rory because he's, in, he's expressed an interest depending on the course. He's not going to come here and play the Australian for free, but he will come and play Kingston Heath if not for free, but certainly for a reduced amount. A couple of them win it, and we saw this with Jordan Spieth, the Spieth effect. Spieth comes down for a couple of years and plays and wins the Australian Open and goes back, and all the other top players say, well, if it's good enough for Spieth, maybe there's something in this. And it I, could I, be I like that it. you could create something that the top players coveted. i tell you what Tiger Woods doesn't have, that Jack Nicholas has 
and Gary Player mm-hmm. is an Australian Open. And no, I think right. I think it's a genuine hole in his CV, as is the missing Tasmanian Open from the Sharks CV. <laughs> yeah. and, well, I, I think <laughs> back to... Jack Nicklaus with the Canadian Open, He's he, he never won true. in Canada. Yep. Is that right? Yep. That's right. The Canadian Open? I mean, the RBC Canadian Open. <laughs> hey, take so. it easy. easy. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, the Canadian Open is a good example, isn't it, Huggy? They threw their lot in with the PGA Tour, which would seem like a particularly sensible thing to do. And they have just become another bland event on the PGA Tour. So Trapped bland, they can, they can just be cancelled without yeah. you know, the national body really sad. having much of a say in it. Yeah. It's as old as the Australian yeah, I, I think, isn't it? I actually yeah. told my uh, Canadian buddies uh, in the media, Bob Weeks and those guys, I said, they should be picketing the... Our, uh, the Royal Canadian Golf Association to, this is two or three years ago now, it's not going to happen. They they, uh, they should have jumped from the PGA Tour where they had a rotten date and a stinking field to the European Tour, mm. who would then play the, the Canadian Open the week before the US Open and have everybody playing, you know, the, apart from the two or three guys that never play the week before. They'd have a far better field. It would be a much bigger deal. Um, but, you know, nothing ever came of it, obviously. But uh, Make some headlines yeah, I mean, too, Huggy. But the, <laughs> the biggest thing is the, is, the t- is the title. The Canadian Open is a great title, and the Australian Open is yes. maybe even better. I mean, that, that for me, is the big attraction. And if you're going to build a world tour from scratch, that's what I would build it around, is the National Opens. You know, that, that an Australian Open would be in the top six, certainly. I would top think five, yeah. it's top yeah, five for every Australian player, and I would think it would be in the top ten of most professional golfers if you ask them yeah. the ten tournaments. It would definitely be part of a world tour. Most sure. definitely. Although the Premier League, not, not a restricted field. Yeah, not a restricted field. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hardly that an open. That makes a mockery of it. The US yeah. Open, so that's that's a problem for that world tour. Do you, do you envisage the possibility of a world tour? I think we spoke about this recently. Well, we spoke about it on the podcast. The, the European you, tour is in trouble, aren't they? Yeah, the, the European Tour might be the, the catalyst that, that makes determines what happens here. I mean, they've, they're have they in a terrible state financially, so I hear. Um, they're going to have options, um, hopefully. Uh, the PGA Tour, you know, this merger takeover has been talked about off and on for I don't know how long. Um, as it stands right now, I can't imagine that the PGA Tour bean counters are looking at the European Tour and thinking it's that attractive, apart from one thing, is that if the PGA Tour came in and took over, they would then have a piece of the Ryder Cup. Because mm-hmm. the one thing that hacks off the PGA Tour more than anything is the fact that the five biggest events in golf, they have nothing to do with. You know, the four majors and the Ryder Cup. But the providing PGA the Tour, talent, as they say. In fact, <laughs> the, the PGA Tour, I, I would argue, have gone out of their way to get in the way of the success of the Ryder Cup because... The only reason it's played at the end of September is because the PGA Tour won't give up dates earlier on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, we've seen some of the weather, especially in this part of the world. I mean, the Celtic Manor and the K Club, and you know, it was dreadful weather because that's what you get at that time of year. And that when they played at Glen Eagles in 2014, I mean, so it turned out it was a it was a nice week and the weather was fine. But and this would have been, you know, I wouldn't say this was likely, but it's not impossible either. It could have snowed, snowed. at Glen Eagles. Yes. In, in late September, but that's only because the PGA Tour, you know, they they dictate where the Ryder Cup, when the Ryder Cup is played by not by not even being involved in it because they're all powerful elsewhere. But that, to me, would be the big attraction for them in terms of purchasing the European Tour, if we want to put it that way. The other alternative, the European Tour, you know, I'm just thinking out loud, is that you know that might the talk of the Premier Golf League might be resurrected. 
and they might go that way. Who so knows? Which is which is preferable, Huggy? The the PGA Tour owning the entire world of golf or Saudi money propping up the European Tour? That's like talking what? about the difference between Hitler and Stalin. It's I mean, like the opposite of Sophie's choice. Yeah. It's awful, isn't it? Because there doesn't seem to be, in reality, likely a third option. Uh, I think Corrigan, James Corrigan was on your podcast and he said it best. The European Tour has been living hand to mouth for an awfully mm. long time. And yeah, Keith Pelley, who is credit, has tried a bunch of different stuff, but it's all cost money and whatever reserves they had have been spent experimenting well, I, with new formats yeah, and things. Sorry, I did a piece uh, last week for the Americans uh, on – I got a look at the memo. Um, I won't tell you where I got it, but uh, I got a look at a memo that Keith Pelley had sent out to the membership a couple of weeks ago now um, telling them what they were going to do. Um, in terms of, Well, there wasn't much detail about scheduling, but it was all, there was a lot of administrative stuff about hey, there's not going to be a tour school, the challenge tour, there's not going to be any promotion from that. The, the rankings from this – the people went into – whatever ranking they had going into this year is going to be the same next year, that kind of stuff. Um, but since it's transpired that, you know, I also had part of my story was that the the British Masters at the end of July is going to be the first part of a what turns out to be a four, a four or five tournament run. Um, starting with the British Masters, I say, and there's going to be tournament at Hanbury Manor, tournament at Forest of Arden, and possibly two tournaments at Celtic Manor. The, the thing that they're not any of them any particularly great courses they've all hosted European tour events in the past but the thing they all have in common is that they have a very large hotels on site which the players could then go into in the same way that the PGA Tour are trying to create a kind of bubble for tournaments the players would all be in the same hotel and they could try and make it work that way but the the, the thing that struck me was that the, the purses for these events the one the three after the British Masters that only one million euro uh, total purse that's going to be the new reality um, going forward unless somebody comes in and makes a difference um, with some serious money. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the player lounges, media centres, courtesy cars. Uh, the, the, one of the people I talked to, again, who asked for anonymity, he, he reckoned that the European tour in, in many ways could go back to looking exactly like it did 25 years ago. And I, I tweeted that that was in the I think, Mike Clayton picked up on that because he was he was playing then, and I think he agreed with that. You know, the, the, there's going to be buses from airports rather than courtesy cars, and if if you miss the bus, you're going to have to wait two or three hours for the next one. You know, you're not just going to be a car there waiting for you to jump into. So there's going to be a new reality on the European Tour, one way or another. Uh, what that reality turns out to be uh, remains to be seen. Is has the market got this right, Huggy? Is that a fair reflection of the quality of the European Tour? Uh, no, I mean I think it's it was easily the second best circuit um, for all its faults. Um, but you're right. I mean the the hand to mouth thing. Um, there was a, there was a lot of truth in that. And and Pelly, as you said, tried to make a difference. And I gave him credit for trying some of those things. They weren't all going to work. I think everybody knew that. But um, I give him credit for trying. But he did spend a lot of money. I think one of, again one of the people I talked to for my piece was uh, described Pelly as at heart a, a marketing guy. And one of the things he'd spent money on over the last few years, he'd spent, I think, I think it was £850,000 on rebranding the tour. I was just about to which, comment on the logo. With yeah, with hindsight, that looks extravagant, you know, given the, the situation they're in right now, because they're, they're basically, as they say in Scotland, they're basically skint. Yeah. 
Indeed. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let you loose on the logo in a moment, <laughs> Logue, because it's one of your uh, <laughs> your absolute specialties. But uh, it, it, it strikes me that one of the things that – one of the positives and where they were starting to make some headway, the European Tour, Huggy, was in the PR space. The PGA Tour are mm. horrific when it comes to their yeah. social media presence. They are genuinely awful at it. They're not just indifferent or bland. They're actually bad at it. And the European Tour, in the opposite way – are extremely good at it and have been extremely good at it. It's a real shame that that's been cut off at the knees because I think the impact and the effect of that would have been pretty broad. Lots and lots of people in America were getting on board with those European tour viral videos that they were creating. Yeah, but here's the thing. That that was expensive. Uh, no doubt. That that was costing them money as well. And and you can argue back and forth, and I'm, I'm not qualified to take a side in this, but how much benefit was the European tour deriving from that actually? I mean, everybody, as you Direct say, enjoys return them. on investment, like what yeah, well, you and I do. Yeah, I, mean, I, probably not say, much. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? You've, I think that I think the benefit was much more so than the logo. Given that the former European Tour logo was rubbish, we know that they probably yeah. needed a new logo. What they came up with for eight hundred fifty grand, I'd never heard the price tag before. It was pretty appalling. You're looking at it now. I can. Well, there'd see. be a whole sort of brand identity along with that. And that's what these things cost. And actually, that's probably pretty cheap for an organisation like that. But it, it's you know, without going into a deep critique. <laughs> I can see it on the list for adrianlife.com <laughs> in the near future. It's just, uh, it is very bland. And it's the sort of logo that you get when you engage a company that doesn't necessarily get golf as well. It's like, because it's got cliches in there, like Good. the tee and the ball and yeah. everything. It's, uh, oh, you've got to make it, you know, you've got to use some golf symbolism. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's very, it, it just doesn't stir any emotion or anything. But the social media stuff, I, the benefit that I think, they got from that, which the PGA Tour is absolutely terrible at, is that they got the players Engage. actually absolutely. being yeah. spokespeople yeah. for the tour. So they had their top players actually reading lines in amusing ways and actually and obviously taking a lot of time trying to get that right. Um, and players recognised globally and recognised in America. Yeah. Tommy Fleetwood, Henrik Stenson, uh, Molinari. These are people that American fans recognise and identify. I think there's a direct benefit from that, far yeah. more so than a logo. Made I really a, do. I mean, almost made a star out of Pitbull as well. A couple of- so, sorry, we're delving into stereotypes slightly here, but the, the, the guys in Europe are – I mean, I spent a fair bit of time on the European tour. They're far more ready to make fun of themselves – than the average American player is. I mean, they take themselves very seriously uh, in comparison, generally speaking. But the, but the guy, you know, as you said, the Tommy Fleetwood uh, was a bit of a drama guy at school. I mean, he he's into it. I mean, you can tell he he's actually enjoying it. He he loves all that stuff. And and the, you know, the Thomas Beyonds, they've all been willing to to just make a fool of themselves a little bit. And, and I'm not sure that too many of the, certainly the leading American players are willing to do that. No, absolutely. It's very human, isn't it? It makes it a very human tour, yeah. it seems to me. Yeah. PJ yeah. Tour well, is they're all not business. as much money. That's part of it too, you know. And they've got to work for they've it. They've got to work for it. And, and you know, you get that. It's magnified even more in, in the LPGA and, and the way they promote the LET tour. especially. And I mean, the LET. Been, you've been to some LET events. They work even harder. It seems huggy. <laughs> they almost write yeah. the stories for you if you ask them to. It seems <laughs> that the less sort of ensconced the players are in their bubble, the, the harder they work for the tour and, you know. 
the more reality they the, understand. The less, sort of, the less sort of privilege is associated with the whole thing. Which brings us neatly to something that I did want to talk about, uh, the Mel Reid controversy, let's call it. So last week we had the four-player match, which I thought had a lot more going for it than the Phil and Tiger thing. The guys were walking and carrying their bags. It turned out to be a bit flat ultimately, which was a shame, but I thought the idea was good, and they raised a bunch of money for charity, so good on them. But as Mel Reid pointed out on the day just before it was about to tee off, uh, how hard would it have been to have had a couple of women be a part of the event? She got hammered, as you'd expect, and I'm kind of tired of talking about the controversy about that and whatnot. But I wanted to ask you, Huggy, why not? Why would, Isn't this the problem, that somebody at TaylorMade came up with the idea and that a player who doesn't even play TaylorMade equipment was preferable to saying, why don't we get Maria Fassi or another tailor yeah. player or just or just a woman a couple yeah. of a woman or a couple of women I'm, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't even a part of the discussion is that not the core of the problem right there huggy we can wring our hands about all the reaction and all the rest of it but isn't that the problem we blokes just don't think <laughs> often enough well i i would i put my hand up i plead guilty to that Me I, too. I'm, I'm, i i did not i did not go through my mind before i heard about this thing <clears throat> that maybe you know they could have had four women playing. You know, could have had two games going on. Mm. That to me would have been the, the the ideal scenario. But I only came up with that thought after somebody said, "Well, why weren't there any women there?" Yep. Be- before that, and shameful. I mean, I'm you know I'm not proud of this. I did not think of that before. I didn't see. I didn't think it was a problem because I I didn't think about it at all. But once somebody mentioned it, yeah, why not? I it's mean, obvious, somebody, I mean, isn't it? <laughs> Really? We've all been around some of the, you know, the Australian Women's Open and, and the, they're great players and they're great fun to watch and they're great fun to talk to in many cases. They, they would have been really entertaining. I think they would have, you know, they would have gotten into it a bit more if the, the again, we're getting back to the presentation. The presentation was awful because I would like to have heard, they, they were all mic'd up, let, let them talk. Mm. And the women, I think if you'd picked the right four, they would have been right into that. Um, but yeah, so I think it was it was an opportunity missed, and it just speaks to and it speaks to I'm I'm part of the problem here because I didn't think of it. Yeah, every before, single before somebody mentioned it. Yeah, every single aspect of it at Seminole would have been a better product with the women. Uh, uh, like for the if you had a group of four women against a group of four men and looked at those as individual products, I think the way the women would have played Seminole, the personalities that you could get. Mm. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have DJ dragging the whole thing down. <laughs> yeah. you, you, well, and it would have been far more interesting. It would have been a better product. The golf course. Yeah. They would have played the golf course far more in the way that Donald Ross designed it. Yeah. I mean, those guys, they were driving par fours or flicking half wedges on. I mean, that that course wasn't designed to be played like that. I mean, that, it's the old argument, you know, the ball goes too far. So, I mean, and even Hank Haney, my buddy Hank Haney, was on his podcast last week, and I listened. One of the few times I've ever listened to a podcast because I couldn't believe my ears was that he he came on and he said he's now turned full circle and he's now for bifurcation yeah. of the ball, you know, because Matthew Wolf hit was it three hundred and fifty six and three hundred and sixty five on a golf course that was sodden. There was no run whatsoever. I mean. So you, they're not playing the golf course like it, it's supposed to be played. I mean, I, they, they would actually, I bet you they would actually, certainly Rory would enjoy it far more if he was asked to, to think a bit more about what he's actually yeah. doing out there. Hit a five rather than the odd green. blasting away and, and chipping the ball into the green. The distant thing has become a bit like the purses in golf, hasn't it? You're just numb to it. The figures are just astounding. The amount of money that, I mean, 
you can make in professional golf is now so astounding that it's not even interesting anymore. It's burst straight through vulgar yeah, into, into just, just banal. Can't, yeah. can't even yeah. bother yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. Well, there was a tweet from Titleist Europe, who I follow um, the other day, and bragging quite rightly about that they've been the number one ball since you know since God was a lad, and this and that, and they they make the best product. Because I went back to them and said, well, given that, why are you against a rollback? What mm. difference would that? Of course, there was a deafening silence, <laughs> but the, expecting anything. But but it's a legitimate question. I mean, They're what are they worried about? Blitz, are they? You know, uh, we'll might come to that in a moment, Huggy. But of course, the irony, Logue, is that. Two of the very best golf spectacles of the year in 2019 were Maria Fassi and Jennifer Cupcho at Augusta National yep. and the Solheim Cup. Yep, and the Women's British Open. And the right. Women's – okay, so let's take three. So I, I'm yeah. going to say at least three of the top ten uh, best moments in golf last year were from women's golf. Yep. And legitimate golf talent on display. The shot that Cupcho hit at a 13 at Augusta National will live in everybody's memory forever. Yep. So why don't we – I'm intrigued to hear Huggy's response because as a bloke, you've got two options. You can be like Jack Laffey. Don't be like Jack Laffey. You can be like Jack Laffey on Twitter. He's the stalker. He's Jack horrific. Laffey. Oh, he is horrific, Huggy. <laughs> Search at Jack Laffey and follow some of the things he said say, to Meg McLaren I've, over the years. I've searched him and oh. there are some non there are some Jack Laffeys who aren't here. Oh, right. okay. well, so let's, I know who he is. I I like to look him up when he I saw some of the stuff from last week and I, I looked it up and I'd already blocked him. <laughs> <laughs> you part way down the road to redemption, hugging you. Yeah, <laughs> you've blocked the right guy. So that's one way to react, and that seems to be certainly on Twitter the majority of reactions. Or there's the huggy reaction, Adrian, which is kind of mine, which is, yeah, I got that wrong. I'm getting that wrong. Try to be better. Yeah. Why don't more blokes do that? Absolutely. That that's exactly the sort of so that's the sensible reaction. Is like, oh, yeah, I'm not exposed to this every day, and it's not something that I have to deal with every day. And I actually should be more aware, and it's, it, you know, it's 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 okay actually if if you do have that reaction, it's okay to actually not have thought of it because you know that's that's all part of being male. I well, think is think is, of it next time is yeah, just be aware and 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 realize that you're not aware that so that, that amount Stag- of self awareness. Staggering is, that is, three middle aged middle class yep. white blokes could be unaware. <laughs> it's, just, it's amazing, isn't it? It yeah. really is. I, I had, yeah, but I, I'm ashamed because I'm a big fan of the women. I, of I love yeah. watching the women. Yeah. You know that. That's why did I not think of it? I mean, no. it's just ingrained, as you say. I I gave it a little bit in my treatment of the match that that piece I wrote about the match because I felt like I went the opposite way though. I felt like that was just this celebration of machismo and mm-hmm. an alpha male. Is that all excess? Wrong? Is there room for that sometimes? Uh, it's not something I get too excited about, mm-hmm. um, but I, 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 I sort of criti- critiqued that part of it without thinking to myself, "Oh, what you know? What does this need? Oh, actually, how about a woman? Some women, yeah." yeah. And uh, yeah, but it's the tailor made thing as well. Of course, they couldn't they couldn't put a woman in there because who do they who do they sponsor? I think Maria Fassi is one of theirs. And can I just oh, say, sorry, sorry, she's two. Yeah, she I mean, look she as. That Hannah Holden said on that podcast. Maybe she wasn't up. in Florida, or maybe you know, there, there might have been logistical reasons. No, but you get the sense that they probably didn't, didn't ask or think. She's with TaylorMade until they dump her because they need to pay for some yeah, men's big to contract bring, to bring Justin Rose back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from uh, from Honma. Just on a side, I watched her at Bonville. Uh, she played down here in the Ladies European Tour event at Bonville. Huggy, I don't know whether you've seen Maria Fassi up close. Have you? I haven't. No. My goodness! If you get the opportunity, uh, she has got. Just talent and club head speed to burn. Uh, she's not 
nowhere near fulfilled her potential by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, she's a bit of a chunker. I saw her hit four or five chunks, but a couple of them with like a two iron, and she rips it. She really rips it. She stood on the 10th tee at Bonville. Anybody listening who knows the 10th at Bonville, she stood on the 10th tee at Bonville, and she had a driver in her hand. I thought she was going to try and carry the fairway box. I said, no, no, she was trying to knock it on the green, <laughs> and if she hadn't missed it right, she damn near might have. Yep. It was about 300-odd metres uphill. Yeah, I think um, her her average is longer than a lot of the top men. And a really, really nice girl too. I interviewed her after one of those. A really nice, um, really nice girl. So lots of talent. I'm big, big, big fan of Maria Fassi. And she would have been a fantastic addition to that last week. And as soon as I saw that stuff from Mel Reid, I was like, yeah. Yep. Mel Reid would have been a fantastic addition to that. Inby Park, is she still with TaylorMade? Or they, they didn't give her a three-wood that time. So She never was still... with them. That was the problem. Oh, right. So she was a Strixon player, but she'd always played TaylorMade Woods, unpaid. Yeah. Did you hear this story, Huggy, last year? Well, number yeah, one. Yeah, she asked for, yeah. asked for a five-wood with a lower loft and was told she'd have to pay 180 bucks, whatever it was. Retail. Um, that's extraordinary. extraordinary. I mean, well. I have to say, though, that Farsi sounds like um, she's the – She's got something in common with the young up-and-coming male players. I mean, Jaime Diaz touched on this uh, in a podcast we did with him, um, I th- which I thought was really – Jaime's always interesting, but the particularly interesting point. We were talking about Victor Hovland, mm-hmm. who's got a very identifiable weakness in his game in, in that his chipping's very poor relative to his competition. I can identify and, But Jaime was saying that, you know, that, but that's the way it's going, is that, I mean, for all that Hovland is working on his chipping to make it better, the – the one prerequisite we've talked about this probably before is is the the, the distance. Yeah. You've got to have the distance. So they all work on distance, 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 to the point where they neglect other parts of the game. But it's not that important because they're going to play well three, four, five times a year and make all their money like ten million a year. Yeah, and it doesn't matter yeah. because so they they become even more one dimensional, and that you know the, they're not complete players and. That, that's a dangerous, you know, the, the women, inevitably it's going to happen in the women's game as well, and it sounds like it's already started. It has, what, Lexi Thompson and Michelle Wee, and, uh, yeah, there's absolutely mm. no question. I've fallen, yeah. for the, I've, I've fallen for the thing that I often criticise myself, that it's like fast food, but it's eye-popping to watch somebody like Maria Fassi up close. But you're right, Huggy, yeah. what, what that means yeah. is that for all of the time put into developing that aspect of the game, there's other aspects. And it was always the great, the great appeal of golf's always been its democratic nature. Yeah. I tell you though, we, this, going back to Rory again, we, we I got into you know, one of my things I bang on about is the the balance between science and art and uh-huh. artistry. In this was a great conversation, yeah. And he, Rory said a very interesting thing. I mean, he said, well, the, you know, the, everybody's got the track man things now, and they're all obsessed with the numbers. And he says that's actually working towards getting away from people trying to tr- just swing perfectly because it's all about the numbers and how you get to that number. Does it really matter as much? So we're we're probably going to see a wider range of mm-hmm. techniques because of that. And and he made the point that the science and art thing. He says you, you're dead right, but he says the artist will always win that battle, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I hope he's I hope it's true. It's true. The the distance debate isn't so much about the players and the the skills required to do it. It's as much about where are they going to play. It would not be a problem if land was an infinite resource. You just keep making the courses longer and you maintain the challenge. Well, we know that's not possible. It was the first well, time that, around. That's the offensive part of it. Like we just touched on with Seminole. They, they didn't play Seminole properly. They just played like they, they play everywhere else. You know, it didn't matter where they were, really. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. Would have been fascinating, of course, if they used old tailor-made equipment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think they, they didn't make Pesuma, did they? You put that to Roy, no, they, didn't you? And no. he said that he mentioned he was sponsored by tailor-made yeah. and they don't make any Yeah, you, you laughed when you said that. Though. Yeah. Would, have, yeah. would have been even better for tailor-made. Like they, these are just risky things, though, that some a big point, corporation like that are never going to do. At some point, a manufacturer is going to jump on this subset of us who've been banging on about this stuff because it's getting to the point now where it's almost going to be marketable. At some point, one of them is going to do something to cater to that market, and it will be a huge winner. I think you're right. They could have just played yeah, well, one and, hole and with that equipment will, or something. Sorry, go on. No, that's it. No, that was point well, I was I was just going to say that a few years ago now at the, the Scottish Open at Castle Stewart, I went down onto the range before the tournament started, and I had two persimmon woods drivers with me. And I said, I just handed them over and said to guys, have a, have a go with them. I couldn't get them back. Mm. To a man, they loved it. And yeah. They were, the one guy, was it Matthew Nixon, I think his name was, he was incredible with them. He was way better than everybody else because he could, you know, he was, oh, this is so much fun. Look at the shots I can hit. And, and everybody got into it. They were all shaping them and, you know, hitting low, high cuts, draws, everything. Far more than they, they just normally do with a metal. They stand there and just bash away. But I, I literally couldn't get them back. It was hours before I saw those clubs again. So the, there's an enthusiasm there if you can tap into it. So so Tiger's talked about it recently. What did he call it? The uh, gear effect or something? Yeah, like, he's talking about the gear effect with the bulge roll on the face and hit it in the heel. Or was it just Tiger the, making up a no, word No, 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 no. The Healy cut He makes words shot. up all the time. The Healy cut. No, no, I know that. That's what that's the gear effect is. You okay, hit it on the toe, it'll come back from right to left. You no, hit it on I've, the heel, it'll I've, go left to right. I've felt that. Don't worry. Hit it on the middle. Who knows what happens? Nobody's ever hit one on the middle. That's madness. But he's talked about it. Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas put out a bunch of videos on Instagram of him and Ricky playing with Ballada Balls and Persimmon. And these guys are doing it for fun, Huggy. I wonder when somebody's going to realise, hang on a minute. There's, yeah, there's a tournament to be held, isn't there? Not just a tournament. This is a prime example of having lost your way. Apart from anything else, pick up a Persimmon Wood. I had a couple of Persimmon Woods. Larry Canning brought me a couple of the New South Wales Open last year that he'd promised me, and I just had him sitting next to the desk in what was passing for the media centre. A lot of players wandering through. To a person, everybody who had any kind of connection to golf who walked through that place picked up those clubs, waggled them, and either said, oh, God, I remember these. Look at the, you know. But the beauty of the of the, the craftsmanship in the the making of them, you look at the heads, you can sit and stare at the head of a beautiful persimmon yeah. driver for an hour. They're, they're beautiful things. I mean, I've got- uh, And unique. You're going to shake your head at this, but I've got um, nine Hogan tour bags in my office here, all full of golf clubs, and a very high percentage of them are- Blade irons and/or persimmon woods, and they're beautiful things. They oh, really yeah. are. They're actual things. Of the Hogan's got the speed slot. You got the speed yeah. slot on those. Honey? He's yeah. got nine bags. You're not going to name there's a, a club few, he hasn't quite got. a lot of speed slots. <laughs> and they're all Hogan bags. All those, you know, those red, white, and blue ones that. Yeah. They, back, oh back wow! In the day, I've all, got the directors. They're all on them. Yeah. So. Hogan directors, I think, were the most beautiful. Yeah, I've got, I used to play with. I played with uh, Hogan medallion irons when when I could play semi-properly. Uh, Richard, Beautiful thing. Richard Chamberlain, who you'll know, Adrian, but Huggy won't. He's a course designer down here. He's got a set of Hogan radials. Now, that is a mm. very odd set of golf clubs. You look okay. those up and have a look. They're different, to say the least, and uh, I've never seen a set before uh, or since. He, Once, he was very good when he was Dr. Kildare as well, I thought. Yeah. Is he an actor, Richard Chamberlain? Oh, yes. Yeah. Is it? Right, okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly I feel old. Oh, my goodness. It was in Logan, oh, no, Logan's no. run. I am culturally bankrupt, 
Huggy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a movie watcher or a music listener. I never, I never get any of those references when they. So, so my my witty quips are wasted on you. <laughs> are wasted on me. Find yourself an audience that'll appreciate. Like fine wine, Huggy. Don't ever give me any of that either. Yeah. It is wasted yeah, yeah. on me. Last thing I wanted to bring up with you. I don't know whether you read this story, Huggy. I sent you the link. It was one of those. Oh, this is, annoys me, and I sent it off and didn't give it much other thought. Clover Moore's the Lord Mayor here in Sydney. This is a broader problem, and I know it's one that you've got in Scotland. Councils yeah. eyeing off golf courses and if you're of a mind to think this way, the forces are massing against golf, uh, wanting to get rid of golf. She wants to halve the size of Moore Park. This isn't the first time that she suggested it. I don't think it will happen, but she is the Lord Mayor, so she has some influence. I've invited her to come on the podcast. We'll see what happens with that in the next week or two. And I know that you've been through this in, in Scotland as well. Um, who's your, is it Michael McEwen writes for Bunkered? He's yeah, been writing yeah, a bunch of stuff yeah, about this sort of thing. He's done some good stuff on that. Yeah, you're right, yeah. What do we do, Huggy? How do we combat this? Because I feel like just standing on the other side, returning fire, is not going to get us anywhere. How do we actually make the point that golf is valuable and has a place in society? Well, it's it's the same, and certainly in Scotland. I mean, we our football team is basically rubbish and has been for a long time now. And part of that is that the the number of football pitches and places where kids can go and play football has been drastically reduced. I mean, I think back to when I was a kid. I mean, it's a while ago now, but um, that was where in the village where I lived. I mean, I didn't play a lot of golf in the evenings. I was up, you know, certainly before I got serious about it, I was up at the football pitch playing with playing with my friends every night till it got dark. And that's not happening anymore. So, and it's reflected in in our in our football team. And our golf hasn't been that great either. I mean, our, we've had courses closing. Admittedly. Most of them have been pretty bad courses, but there's going to be more. There's going to be an awful lot. There was, I think, there was six in the Glasgow area under threat because of this the situation we're in now, and it, that's only going to get worse, I think. Um, and we haven't produced, you know, we've only had one major champion in this century, and that that's Katrina Matthew. And you have to go back to Paul Laurie and then Sandy Lyle before that, and you know, we've not been that successful at the highest level of the game for a long, long time. We, we, you know, we don't have many Ryder Cup players. And part of that is the, you know, the disappearance of golf as a, an option for kids. And it's a, you know, as you, the situation you're talking about in Australia, I'm maybe going slightly off beam here, but um, that's, that's not going to help if, if this woman gets her way and, and closes, is it half the course she's looking She wants nine holes it? to come back. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and again, you get into the argument of, maybe nine holes is the future because of the time factor. Oh, she's tried yeah. that one on too. She had a very uneducated yeah, that's she, right, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not advocating that she should be doing what she's doing. I don't know enough about it. I've only read the thing that you sent me. But um, on the face of it, you know, that's that's the issue, is that we're not providing places for kids to go and play sports. And golf's part of that. You need, you need to make it easy for them, or easier than it is right now. And it's... I mean, you guys produce. You probably bat way over your, you know, your heads in terms of sport and the sports that you're serious about. And certainly golf. I mean, you guys have had a pretty good run of uh, world class golfers, and your climate's got something to do with yeah. that. It's far better than than here, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's it's, it's it's not going to get any better if you start closing down golf courses. That's for sure. The pressure's only going to increase. In these situations, Adrian, you, you don't need to be a genius to fast forward 20 years and realise we're all going to use the internet more, so get the NBN right if you don't mind, and that there's going to be more pressure on urban land. 
Mm-hmm. How do we justify golf's existence? That you can't get around it, no matter how much you love the game, that it uses up an enormous amount of space to the exclusion of others as things stand. Yeah, and as golfers, more park in Sydney here, the course in question really hits a nerve because it's so influential. It's operating at capacity, so there's it, no it, argument it makes, to be made it's that extremely it's extremally profitable. Maybe extremely profitable, yeah. But it, and it's perhaps one of the most influential courses in Australia. Um, a lot of people who first play golf, they play at Moore Park or East Lakes or North Ride, mm-hmm. which are decent courses that you can get on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might have a five-and-a-half-hour round or something, which isn't great, but they are open to people to play and experience a good golf course. And and for those reasons, they're extremely influential. And people go to the driving range at Moore Park and then they can see the golf course over there so their first experience of golf might be the driving range, which is enormously popular. They do. Uh, I've had to queue up there in the They, they do thousands. And oh, it's yeah. it's a multi-story thing, and they do three, thousands of buckets a day. Three tiers, sixty bays, and I've had I've been there on a Saturday evening years ago. In in, in fairness, and had to queue up. Yeah. Had to wait forty minutes to get a bay. That's right. So the frustrating thing is that golfers get it. They know how important Moore Park is, and they feel pretty strongly about that. But it's just so hard to articulate that to non-golfers. And and part of the problem is exactly what you just said, Rod. People look over the fence and see this vast green tract, and you you unless you really know what's going on, you you do only see three or four people at a time because you might have one or two holes in view and you can see one or two groups, and you think to yourself that. That place looks mostly empty. What's going on there? Why are we all shoved into this area doing our hour of exercise a day, which is, of course, part of the... To me, I, I mean, I see football fields and they look mostly empty to me all day. Well, they are. Um, Six days a week, they are. Yeah, and, and they're, they're pretty sort of plain affairs as well, like where I think a golf course is a much more interesting landscape and more interesting for wildlife and preserve and as a nature preserve as well for green space in urban areas. So... Uh, I think the case is it's just no, it's an easy sell to golfers, but it's very hard to explain to non-golfers. And I don't know how to explain it. it Honestly, I feel like if I was doing it, I'd stuff it up and <laughs> make, make the case it, worse. It'd end up being six holes. And it'd exactly. all be your fault. <laughs> You'd be giving <laughs> holes away at the end. Exactly. But I do instinctively, I think one of the things that all golf courses could be doing, including the private clubs that aren't necessarily under risk, that have, you know, got, they're walled up and people can, you know, Neighbours can see in, and generally people get a glimpse of it through bushes or, mm-hmm. or shrubs or something. If they could see that we were being better stewards of land like that and not necessarily wasting a bunch of water, because the real battlefield is not going to necessarily be green space in 10, 15 water. years. It's going to be water. And if golf courses are seem to be com- consuming massive amounts of water for the sake of having green fairways, the that's going to be very hard to defend. And, and I, th- I think all golf courses need to be better stewards of those bits of land, particularly when it comes to water. And then that might change the conversation a little bit for a public course like Moore Park. The fence is problematic. I have to say, the, the water issue is much more of an issue uh, for you guys than it is for, for, for us up here. <laughs> if we could find <laughs> a way to tunnel it down here from up there, Huggy, you know, you could you could send some, some yeah. our way. The fence is interesting, isn't it? Because... For the most part, the predominant reason of having the fence, particularly in Moore Park's case, is safety. It's a safety issue. You don't want people wandering onto a golf course and getting hit by a golf ball. That would be patently stupid. But symbolically, you get photographed in front of it and mention that, 
over the fence on the other side where they live because us and them is always important in these debates. You need to have an us and a them. And of course, we're always us and they're always them. And a fence does a beautiful job of creating that without even needing to say it. I've written a column. Strictly speaking, people can walk on more park, can't Yes, they? they can, as far as I know. And there's been the, one of the proposals, I don't know whether it's gone ahead, the most recent thing I could find was 2017, is they proposed some bike tracks around it and walking trails that use various parts of the golf course. Golf needs to be better at sharing, doesn't it, Huggy? We're not great at it in Australia. You're probably well, better at it in Scotland. Yeah, it comes to, down to image. I mean, golf's got a terrible image amongst people who don't play golf or don't know mm-hmm. Is no that golf their fault or ours, Huggy? Whose well, fault is that? Ours, I, I would so argue. More, more, certainly more than theirs. I mean, my, I go back to my son really doesn't play golf, but uh, he comes up here and visits, and we go to the driving range sometimes, and he stands there and he smashes the ball. And my, and my daughter is all, hardly plays, and she's got a great swing, takes after her mother in that respect, <laughs> doesn't play. You know, she just – because the, the, they just can't deal with what goes with it. I mean, my, my son, he's, he's you know, he's going to be – He's 28 at the moment, but when he was at school, I remember him saying to me, Dad, I, I, the only things, the only clothes that I own that I can wear at your golf club is my school uniform. Jesus. And he, and he was right, you know, and so he, so he didn't go. He, there was no, he had no inclination to, to put himself through the nonsense, as he put it, that you have to go through to play golf. Yeah. Sandy Jamison. Let them wear whatever they want. You know, geez. Sandy Jamison down here, he runs that one club thing, Huggy. Next time you come down, we must take you out there. He's fantastic. He's bonkers, but in a good way. He's a good guy, Sandy, and he's he's a great heart. But he's, he's often said, here's an experiment for you. Go to your local shopping center, the Westfield, and stop everybody at the door and only let in those people who'd be allowed on the golf course. <laughs> and mm. Have a look at the reaction that you get and have a look at how many people yeah. you're excluding simply good way of putting it. by the dress code. And I've, heard, I've heard Mike Clayton say this, and probably you've heard him as well, when talking about Richard Sattler at, at Barn Boogle, who went into golf knowing absolutely nothing about the game. And somebody had said to him early on, are, are you going to let people wear jeans in the clubhouse? And he just looked at them and said, why would I not let people wear jeans in <laughs> the clubhouse? What sort of a you stupid know. question? What sort of weird yeah. upbringing have you had where that's yeah. even a question? Last thing on that. There's no silver board, obviously, answer to that response. And there's going to be a tension there in negotiations. Some golf courses will survive and some won't. And more park might end up being nine holes. But here's one thing that golfers need to remember. When the non-golfers look over the fence and start pointing and saying, not only are there not many of you, but you're all middle-aged white blokes, yeah. it makes it a whole lot easier to close that down. Mm-hmm. If golf does not welcome in the rest of the outside world, both as participants and to share the space, the game will doom itself. And I know there's a couple of you out there who are going to send me emails and yeah, messages I'm, As a middle-aged Twitter, white guy, I'm telling used me, to getting everything my own way, Rod. Right? When, when do we get to say, Adrian, we've yeah. got no voice? But that's the truth of it. And it's, whether you like it or not, there's a pragmatic element to that. This is politics, ultimately, and your own personal feelings and Anger and frustration has no real part to play if you want to be successful, for want of a better term. Golf will be the author of its own demise if we don't get smart about inclusion in all ways. Uh, yeah, the last thing they need is more people who look like us. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely, Huggy. I mean, even as good-looking as Adrian it's, is. Yeah, um, as high opinion as take, I have of myself. You can only take so much of it. So, anyway, <laughs> so there's some big issues there. All of which loops back to that whole thing about the match, and you know, none of us actually thinking at the outset why aren't there some women until it was pointed out to us. So, 
we need to be dragged into the 21st and 22nd centuries. Uh, there's loads more we could talk about, but we won't. You've been more than generous, Huggy. I know it's getting late into the night over there, so we really appreciate you taking some time. It's always fabulous to catch up with you. Congratulations on what was a fabulous contribution to the golf media landscape. Your interview with Rory uh, really was well done. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for anybody who hasn't listened to it, but well done on that, and thanks for chatting today, mate. Always good. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Good to talk to you. And Adrian, always good to have you, but particularly today to have you here in the studio. The great thing about that being that we can now hang up the phone and you can go and buy me coffee. So I'm really looking forward to that, as I'm sure you are. Buy you another coffee. Another coffee, because you you already bought me one, but it was McDonald's, (laughs) so it doesn't really count. That's it for episode 33 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. And of course, we'll be back to do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.